You are listening to the New Vision Church Podcast, a community to belong, be loved, and believe. Well, good morning, church. It's so good to see you guys, and thanks for tuning in uh, with us here at New Vision. Uh, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. So, God, we thank you for this day and this time that you've given us. We pray as we look at your word and we talk about uh, your son, that God, your Holy Spirit, would lead us and direct us in all of our thoughts, Lord, our conversations, and then, Lord, that you would use even this message to draw us closer to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week, we started a, a new series for Christmas, and it's called Twas Christmas. And last week, we were talking about Twas Eternity Before Christmas. And we're going we're gonna, to, like, catch up a little bit this week. Uh, this week, the sermon is Twas the Years Before Christmas. And um, the reason we're going to look at that is because we're going to talk about how after um, God created everything, that in Genesis chapter 3, when, when mankind fell, it was at that point and all throughout the Old Testament uh, up until Jesus is born, everything is pointing towards that day. Everything is pointing towards that time of when Jesus would come. However, this is, I mean, the prophecies that are being given and the, the prophets that are telling these things, right, they don't have a clear understanding of what's going on. And sometimes, um, you know, there's even things that feel like, okay, they could be talking about the Messiah coming right now and the Messiah doesn't show up. In fact, uh, this goes on for literally hundreds and hundreds of years. And, and so it's, it's one of those things that when we talk about the plan of God, and as we were talking last week, how the plan of God actually began before time began, uh, that there was a plan, but once time began, this, this plan had a certain time frame that it was going to follow, and there were certain things that needed to happen. And so God used people like his prophets to help prepare the people and to proclaim that the Messiah would one day come. And uh, I just want you to understand that, you know, being a, a prophet back in Jesus' time and, and the Old Testament time was not an easy thing to do. In fact, uh, there are some crazy things the disciples had, uh, the, the prophets had to do, right? Think about Ezekiel. He had to eat a scroll uh, and lie on his side for like 390 days. You've got like John the Baptist who's eating locusts and wearing camel skin clothes. You know, um, although that might be fashionable today, who knows? But, you know, when you, you get back to all these different things that the prophets, you know, they're kind of weird people. They kind of sometimes have to do things that are very strange. And, and now they're talking about things that some of these events, it's like, is that happening now? You know, how far in the future is it? And, um, and so one of the things that, you know, about the prophet is, is that if you were a prophet, this was serious business. If, if, if what you said didn't happen, then it could cost you your life, right? It's not like you can just, you know, make this stuff up because one mistake is all it takes for a false prophet to be killed. One mistake is all it takes for a prophet to be considered a false prophet. And so let me just kind of go ahead and clue you into that fact on our day and time now, because there are a lot of people who have claimed to have prophecies, and you know what? They didn't come true. There's a lot of people today who are saying things, and and so I just want you to understand, in, in the Old Testament time, if you were a prophet and you gave a prophecy and it did not come true, 
it was serious business. In fact, in Deuteronomy 18.20, look at what it says. But the prophet who dares to speak a message in my name, talking about God, that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. This is serious business. So people weren't just going around making things up. They weren't just saying, oh, well, I think it's going to be this way, or I hope it's going to be this way. If you were a prophet and you were speaking in the name of the Lord, or you're speaking in God's name, this was serious and, and it better happen. Otherwise, if it didn't happen, then you were considered a false prophet. But what we've got to understand is this, is that a lot of times what a prophet was asked to do or write, it didn't always make sense to them. And it always didn't happen immediately as we understand now, right? That, that some of these prophecies would take literally hundreds, if not thousands of years to be fulfilled. So I want to ask you this question, right? This is a time for you to kind of reflect on your own life. Have you ever had a time when you didn't have a clear picture of what God was doing in your life? Have you ever had a time when maybe you were getting mixed messages or you felt like it was mixed messages and, and it took some time for the picture to become clearer? You guys probably remember uh, Polaroid cameras, right? Uh, they were really cool cameras where, you know, you just one click and, and you wait a few seconds and it spits out that, uh, that print. But what you had to do is you had to kind of shake it, right? And kind of had to wait a minute for, for it to, and then as you watched it, it's developing right in front of your eyes. It was amazing. You didn't have to go to a dark room. You didn't have to wait a period of time. Yeah, it's, it's actually going to happen right before us. And wouldn't it be great if that's how everything worked? It doesn't quite work that way. But a lot of times we think we see the picture clearly and we don't quite have it all in focus. And it's okay. It's okay. It doesn't mean that God's a liar. It doesn't mean that God's not going to keep his word. What it means is maybe we just need to wait a little while for the picture to come into focus. And so the prophets really played a, a very important role in proclaiming and declaring that the Messiah would come. And their, their part in, in history as well as in God's economy, right, was to point people to, to the coming Messiah, to the, to the Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah. And so let me ask you this question. Did you know that there were over 350 prophecies in the Scripture that were pointing to a Messiah? And all of these, right, need to be fulfilled in order for that person to truly be the Messiah. And so there were times that people were, you know, they would look at somebody and say, oh, you know, that, that person could be the Messiah, or this person could be the Messiah, but, but if they're not matching up to 100% of all of those then they're not Messiah. In fact, I saw something on YouTube uh, just, just today talking about um, this, this false Messiah that literally thousands and thousands of people are uh, jumping on the bandwagon and following him. He says he's the Messiah. He's memorized the, the Torah. He's doing wonders and miracles. But I just have to tell you, he's not the Messiah. But Jesus, however, is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who fulfilled every one of these prophecies completely all the way. Now, some people have done some different kinds of studies on this, and I'm not really a mathematician. I don't really know how odds and things like that, you know, chance, how all that takes place. But, but this is what I understand, is that the chances of Jesus 
just fulfilling 60, 60 of those prophecies is equivalent to one and then in one and 157 zeros after it. Let me, let me show you kind of what that looks like. It's this many zeros. It's like the chances of somebody just randomly meeting 60 of those prophecies is one in 157 what zeros, whatever number that is. It's not just going to happen. And so here is Jesus who comes and he begins to fulfill every one of these prophecies. Not just 60, not just 160, over 350 of those prophecies. But these prophecies were given, not just all at one time, right? They were given through the years. And so, twas the years before Christmas that these prophecies were given. And so, people were marinating in these prophecies. They were thinking about these prophecies all the time. This is where we get a song like, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, right? It's, it's, there's this longing for the Messiah to come. And, and so they were aware of these prophecies. They were looking for someone who was going to fulfill each one of these prophecies. And the crazy thing about it is, none of it made sense to them. None of it made sense until Christmas and Easter. That's when the picture became completely clear. Right, in Jesus' time of, of his ministry, even on earth, he was talking to his disciples about dying, and, and they didn't get it. It was like it was way over their head. Even though they, they were aware of some of these prophecies, right? Even Jesus said, hey, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. And they, they didn't get it. They didn't, they, it didn't fully click in even until after the resurrection. And so something had to happen for them. Maybe even something has to happen for you. Have you ever heard of a, a paradigm shift? It's a funny looking word. You, you might be tempted to call it paradigm, but it's a paradigm. And, and the word paradigm means it's, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of looking at something. So when we have a paradigm shift, we, we kind of change the way we look at something. We have a, a different perspective on it. Maybe we see things that we didn't used to see. Years ago, there was uh, this brand new thing that had come out. I remember uh, it was called Magic Eye. And the Magic Eye was like this, all these just look like kind of random, like geometric shapes in this picture. And, um, and so what would happen is hidden in that picture, right? If you waited long enough, you somehow kind of relax your eyes and, and all of a sudden your eyes would adjust and you would then be, be able to see these objects in the picture and it was almost like 3d i mean it's like the picture just kind of comes out at you and um and that was that's called a paradigm shift and and so what happens is this we we see something one way and then all of a sudden you can now see something else let me give you a, an example of this right look at this picture here what do you see it's black and white pretty easy but uh what do you see here some people might only see two faces looking at each other. But if you can focus on the black part of the object uh, or the picture, you might be able to see a goblet. A paradigm shift. Here's one that I think is really cool, and I actually have this picture in my house. Right? This is one of, of the several images of Jesus. And depending on how your eyes and where your eyes go, 
You can see Jesus on the cross. You could see perhaps Jesus' eyes above the cross. And then if you look at the whole picture, you can see kind of a profile of Jesus' face. It's, it's a paradigm shift, right? And, and so the, the prophets were giving all of these things, but they didn't have a clear picture. It, it didn't always make sense to them. And, and sometimes even for us, there are people today who maybe you've been to church all of your life and all this God and Jesus stuff still doesn't quite make sense. And I want to say it's okay. It's okay that it doesn't make complete sense. You're not the only one. But what we have to do is we have to be willing to look with a different viewpoint. We have to maybe change our vantage point. We have to be willing to, to look at things a little bit differently in order to see that Jesus is who he says he is. And so even though all these prophecies were given, Jesus is the only one who filled them all, like all of them completely. And this is why we can be confident in knowing that Jesus is the anointed one, the chosen one, the, the Messiah that is sent from God. Let me give you a few examples of what was hard for the prophets to understand. Like, like this, right? One of the things that they would believe about the Messiah is that that uh, or or have heard about the Messiah is that he would be a man, but he would still be the eternal one. Well, you look at Isaiah nine six as an example of that, right? For the government shall be upon his shoulders, and and so okay, this is going to be a man. But then it goes on. He talks about he you know he'll be the Prince of Peace. He'll be the everlasting Father. What? Uh, you know this is this is kind of how how do you put these two uh, definitive descriptions side by side like that? It was hard for them to understand. Uh, another one would be that the Messiah would be exalted and prosper, and yet he's also going to be marred and disfigured more than any other man. We see an example of this in Isaiah 52, verses 13 and 14. So, so it's like the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to reign, and he's going to rule, but he's going to be beaten and disfigured? This is causing some cognitive dissonance, right? And then you have another one like this, like the Messiah would be a suffering servant, and yet he's going to be a mighty king who sits on David's throne. What? How is a king, right? Why would a king want to serve like that? How is he going to be a suffering servant? You look at Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12, and Isaiah 9, 7, that, that talk about these things. So the prophets were talking about these things and they were and, and it was leaving some people scratching their heads saying, um, you know, I don't quite get this. I don't see the picture completely. And even through the years, right, they were looking for the Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. But this is one of the things that we need to understand is that God is a promise keeper. That that all throughout the Old Testament God is keeping his promise after promise after promise that this Messiah would come, that he's going to bless Abraham and make him a father of, of all nations, and that the Messiah is going to come through David's lineage. And, and God orchestrates all these things to make it as he said it would be. And so because God has kept his promises and fulfilled all these prophecies that didn't make sense then, but they make a lot more sense now. Because God has done that, then we can fully trust and rely on Him. Because God has kept His promises, and He's always been a promise keeper, let me tell you, He's going to keep every promise 
to you as well. That, that God is not going to start breaking promises with you. If God has said something, God will do it. And if God is at work in your life, you can trust Him completely. And so, first point, from these prophecies, we can see that God is 100% reliable. 100%. He's, he's not going to wake up tomorrow and, and just say, oh, you know, I'm not feeling up to it today, guys. I, I think I'm just going to keep half of my promises. No. God is 100% reliable. He will always keep His word all the time. Now let me turn the table on you. How much can God count on you to keep your word? Look, none of us are perfect. But a lot of us make false and empty promises that we never intend to keep. Is that the characteristic that a Christ follower should have? If, if our God is a promise keeper, we too should be promise keepers. Even, and I think it's Psalm 15, it talks about this, right? Uh, somewhere down at the end of the psalm, I can't remember exactly what verse it is, but, but it's, it says something like this, that, that uh, a person who wants to honor God is someone who keeps their word even to their own hurt. Sometimes we don't, we don't want to keep our promises because we feel like, oh, it's going to cost me too much, or, or oh, I, I, I overpromised. Well, we need to make sure that if we're making promises, they're promises that we intend to keep because that's who God is. And so if God is reliable, then what he says about Jesus must be reliable too, right? And God has got his name and his character writing on all of this. And if God said, hey, these certain things are going to be true of the, the coming Messiah, and Jesus comes and he says, hey, I am my father are one and and I am the chosen one, I am the Messiah, then it's really important for us to note that. That God keeps his word, and God said Jesus is the Messiah. Look at this. Where, where, where does God say this? Well, in Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, so this is a prophecy through the years. They hear about this, and then it's fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. The angel shows up and says, hey, you're going to call him Emmanuel, and here's the sign, right? He goes to the shepherds, and you're going to call him, right, Emmanuel. They, they say, go, and you're going to find the, the virgin with this child wrapped, lying in a manger. Who is it that's giving us this proof? It's God himself. Isaiah 7:14 said the Lord himself this is God making a promise to you that that when the Messiah comes these are some of the determining factors behind is this Messiah true born of a virgin called Emmanuel called Jesus you see it's the Lord himself that's given these promises not the prophet the prophet is just a vehicle it's the Lord himself that has made these promises and that says this is going to happen. And I want you to know this, that if the God of the universe says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. We don't have to worry or wonder. It's going to happen. And so the Lord himself has made this promise in Luke 1, 26 through 33. Look at this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, 
And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting could this be. Then the angel told her, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Hmm, pretty amazing stuff, right? And then you, get, you go through Jesus' life and you get to this, this point, this pivotal point called the transfiguration. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but this is a time when Jesus took a couple of his disciples up onto this mountain. And while he was there, he had this encounter with God the Father. And this cloud kind of over, overshadows them and um, Moses shows up and Elijah shows up and they're having this conversation with Jesus. And Peter, he's, he comes out of the blue and says, Hey, Lord, this is such a great thing. Let's just build some tabernacles to stay here. And, and then God speaks up. And listen to what God says. God says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You see, God is saying, This is the Messiah. This is the chosen one. This is my son. You listen to him. Everything about the Old Testament prophecies was pointing to Jesus as the coming Messiah. And so God affirms that Jesus is the one. Uh, We don't need any other proof. If God comes from heaven and says, this is my son, this is the chosen one, this is the Messiah, you know what? That's who it is. We don't need any other proof. If God said it, that's enough. And so from this point forward in the transfiguration, Jesus kind of starts talking about his death and dying, right, a little bit more frequently to his disciples. And and, uh, everything is pointing Jesus to the cross. That, that the whole point of Christmas is because Jesus was going to lay down his life for humanity. That's the whole point. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever heard of something called open theism? Open theism is, uh, I, I guess, I, I'm not sure how long it's been around, but um, it's this idea, this thought that God doesn't really know the future. That actually God is still learning, if you know that were possible. Uh, but there, there are these people who believe that the future is still being created. That that God doesn't really know how the future is going to work out yet. He's kind of you know just allowing people to kind of live out their lives, and and He's going to work with whatever happens. Um, but uh, I just have to say that that's garbage. Um, God knows the future. God is omniscient and God is omnipotent and God is omnipresent. And that means that he is in the future. He's already there. He knows how it's going to play out, but he's right here now too. And so when it comes to the prophecies, right, this is how God can make these, these prophecies come true because he's at the end. He's also at the beginning. He's outside of time. He exists above all that. And we have the sovereignty of God who is able to work according to all of these things and allow them to work together to make it happen. And so number two, 
it's like when we see these prophecies being fulfilled and we see all these things coming together, it shows us that God is working behind the scenes, even down to the last detail. Even down to the smallest of details, God is working all of this stuff out because he knows the beginning from the end. Because he is above all of it. He's not waiting on it and going to be surprised. Oh, wow, you know, I I didn't realize that this was going to happen. And so he has to somehow orchestrate something. No, he knows exactly what's going to happen. And he's able to work within those confines. And so he is working everything down to the last detail, even of our own lives. Look at Micah chapter 5, verse number 2. This is a, a very famous prophecy. We, we have a Christmas carol from it, Old Little Town of Bethlehem. And I want to highlight that word, little, right? It, God is able to use even the smallest of things in our lives to bring him glory. The things that you feel like are insignificant and maybe even some people feel insignificant. And the holidays, depression tends to run higher because people feel lonely and people don't feel loved and they don't feel like they're part of something or, or maybe they're not getting as many gifts as so-and-so, right? And so they, they measure themselves by all these things and they feel little and small and insignificant. But there is no one that escapes God's view. There is no one that God doesn't care about. There's, there's not one little thing in your life that God can't do something with. There's not one little thing that God can't turn around. And so look at Micah 5 too. But you, Beth- Bethlehem Ephrata, and that word Ephrata was the old name. So it's like you've got the new name of the old name. You know, we've, we've got people of different generations here that, you know, you might call one, one city this. And it's like, no, it's not called that anymore, right? They went through a name change. So that's kind of what happened here with Bethlehem. So it says, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. Some of your translations might say from ancient or from actually eternity, right? It was eternity before Christmas. It was the years before Christmas that this was being told that God would use a small little town called Bethlehem, but out of that would come a great and mighty ruler. In Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we see how God is orchestrating this, this detail, a really important detail, right? Because if Jesus doesn't fulfill all of these details, then he's not the Messiah. But because he does fulfill even the smallest of details, what seems like, you know, is it really that big a deal? It is a big deal because it's given specifics. So let me say this, that a false prophet tends to speak in generalities. A true prophet will speak in specifics. And so God's not afraid to give very specific details about the prophet. I mean, about the, the coming Messiah. God says this, you know, and God, well, let me just put it to you the other way, right? God doesn't say, well, he's going to generally be born somewhere in the Middle East. No, he says, actually, the Messiah is going to be born in a place that you guys would overlook. It's going to be in a small little place called Bethlehem. And so how does God orchestrate that? Well, look in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was uh, governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the uh, city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, 
because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with his uh, with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was also with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she was brought forth, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swine and cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So what's the general concept here? Is that God uses circumstances, situations, and even people to orchestrate his plan. You say, you mean you mean to tell me that God even used this this crazy taxing uh Brought by, brought around by a Caesar, yeah, God did. That that God can can use even these crazy, messed up systems we have in our world to orchestrate His plan. We're all very familiar with the verse, right? Uh, Romans eight twenty eight, that says, "God will work together all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose." that God is able to do that. And, and so if God is able to do that and work all these things out for the Messiah to come, I want you to understand this, that God can work out all these details in your life too. That that don't get upset, right? Yeah, I mean, think about this. I'm sure Mary was not excited about having to travel on a donkey being pregnant about to give birth. That was not something she was looking forward to. I'm sure Joseph was probably like, seriously? I mean, this, this has to happen now? And how many times do we feel like that, right? Right? We're kind of like throwing our hands up in the air saying, seriously, really? Now? Why now? And yet God has a plan and a purpose behind everything that he allows happen in our lives. So don't get frustrated. Just believe, have faith, let your faith carry you into the future of God's plan. And I want to say this, that God can even use people who aren't following his plan to still fulfill God's plan in your life. I know it's crazy, but God can use all things, all people to bring about his glory in your life, even if they're not following his will. You see, the bad things that happened to you are not part of God's plan for those who did it to you. But God will still work it for your good in his plan for your life. I know that many of us have had terrible things that have happened to us or around us or in our families. And we scratch our heads and we say, you know, why God? Why did this have to happen? And that wasn't God's will, right, for them but God will take and use it for his will for you. So just let God use it for you. And so here's the key principle, right? Everything in our lives is meant to point us to Christ. Everything. Everything that happens is meant to direct us to him. Everything that happens, even the difficult and hard things, are meant for us to draw us closer to him. Remember the word last week, Corbin? right? It's meant to draw us near. And sometimes we have a hard time offering to God all the ugly stuff in our lives, but if we're willing to offer it to him, he, he, he's not afraid of it. He can handle it. And so bring it to him. 
Everything is meant to point us to Christ. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, he was walking with a couple of his disciples. We're not really sure who those disciples were completely, but um, while they were walking, they had a very important conversation. And in that conversation, right, you probably remember, um, it says that their hearts were burning within them, right? After Jesus kind of revealed who he was, he, they said, did our hearts not burn while he was talking to us? But look at this in Luke 24, 25, and 27. It says Jesus is talking to them, right? And he kind of comes along at, like a foreigner. You know, he's like, hey, what's going on? You know, I see everybody's kind of in a, in a to-do around here. And they say, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on? And so Jesus begins, uh, or they begin talking, and then, then Jesus begins to explain to them some things. And look at what it says. It says, then he said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, look at this, Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The things concerning himself. This wasn't just about what the prophets said. This was about Jesus saying he is the Messiah himself. Jesus was not crazy. He was not a lunatic. He's not some kind of uh, just, you know, liar. He truly is the Lord. And he's telling his disciples these things about himself. And while he is disclosing to them all of these things, they're saying, wow, there's something about this guy. There's something that's true about what he's saying. And so Jesus helps them understand that everything, everything they just experienced was meant to point to him as the Messiah. And I want to say to you that the things that have happened in your life, God is wanting to use those things to point you to him. When Jesus showed up on the scene with his ministry at the age of 30, he calls his disciples, and we have a, a recollection of this in John 1, verse 45. It says that Jesus had called Philip, and Philip went to go tell his, his uh, brother Nathaniel, and he said, hey, we have found him, the one that Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus the son of Nazareth or Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. They, he's saying, we found the Messiah. We found him. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one that, the, that Moses and the prophets were talking about. They understood through the years. Everything came to this point and this person. And so let me say to you that everything through the years that's been happening in your life, God has been calling you, drawing you, wanting you to turn to him. We have access to the scriptures. We have access to God through prayer and because of what Jesus has done. We have the experiences of other people who've shared with us what God can and is willing to do. And now it's up to you. You need to be willing to have a paradigm shift and open up your heart, open up your mind to say, God, I believe. I believe because God has been trying to get your attention through the years. So let me ask you this question as we head to the close. How has God been working even in the smallest of details in your life? How, how is he trying to show you that he's in control? 
How is he trying to show you that he is trustworthy? And be honest with yourself. You know, what, what's really causing you to doubt that you can trust him? What's, what's causing you to doubt that he's got this? What's causing you to doubt? And whatever those doubts are, bring them to the Lord and ask him to help you trust him more. Because ultimately, that's what God wants to do. Finally, number three. Because of these prophecies, we can see that not everything happens overnight. Some things take time, and it's going to take lots of time. Genesis chapter 3, right right at the fall. There's a prophecy given. We talked about it last week, right? That, that God is talking to uh, the serpent, and he's, he, he's telling the serpent that he's cursed, but then he says, you know, that there's going to be this woman, and from her seed... He will crush the serpent's head. That's prophecy given right at the beginning. And so it took literally thousands of years for this to be fulfilled. And if that's how long it took for God to get us, get the point to where the Messiah would come, when Jesus would come, it's probably going to take some time in your life for some of these things to make sense. It's probably going to take some time in your life to, to see how God has been working and orchestrating things. And so, maybe the best thing you can do is what I said in a series last time, is be still for a minute, look back on your life, and see all that God has been doing. See how things could have gone differently if you had made this decision or that decision. And see how God has still miraculously been working in your life to bring you to this point. Because everything doesn't happen overnight. But some things can change with one decision. And so, if God isn't in a rush, you don't need to be in a rush. Don't get discouraged when things don't just happen magically with the snap of a finger. Trust God and believe that He is working everything out for His glory and for your good, even to the smallest of details. The prophecies came over and over and over again, and people, the people of God, like they're they're waiting and wondering. Remember Moses, right? They had just left Egypt, and Moses goes up on the mountain to spend some time with God, and he's there, you know, for for quite some time. And the people are like, "What's up with this guy? He is not here anymore." So they go to Aaron and they say, "Aaron, why don't you make us some gods so that we can follow?" I, how ridiculous is that? I mean, Yahweh just delivered them from Egypt. And like within a few weeks, they're like, oh, there's no God. This Moses guy, he's gone. Let's just worship some other God. It's crazy. But yet, God and his patience, his kindness, right? He still works with people. He still works through people. And he brings salvation through the person of Jesus. What God is setting up may feel like a setback. We, we may feel like, oh, wow, you know, we're taking steps backwards here. I'm sure, you know, you, you read that story about Moses and Aaron and the golden calf, and it's like, man, you guys took some steps back. But it was all part of God's plan in setting up the Messiah. Everything that would happen, God in his patience, God in his sovereignty, was bringing about the perfect plan. And so, when you feel like it's not going your way, don't think it's a setback. God may be taking his time 
to orchestrate some other things that you're not aware of. And this is why we don't make decisions based on our feelings, but in faith in God's reliability. God is reliable. God is 100% trustworthy. He's never failed. He's not going to fail today. And so you can trust Him with whatever's going on. Romans 15.4 says this, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Why do we have all these prophecies? God has allowed these prophecies to be contained in a book we call the Bible so that we can read these prophecies and see that God fulfilled every single one of them so that we will have patience. Okay, God, this took a long time, so I'm going to be patient because some of these things, right? We all know what, what is it? Heinz says, good things come to those who wait. That, that if we're willing to wait, the best is yet to come. And that we might have comfort in seeing that, hey, I don't, I don't see this happening yet, but you know what? Some things, the best things take time, and I'm willing to wait for the very best. So it was the years before Christmas when the prophet spoke, but it wasn't until the last days that God revealed his son to us. All these prophets who lived before Jesus came, before the first Christmas, they didn't get to see the Messiah. And yet they believed, they had faith that the Messiah would come. And so it wasn't until Jesus was revealed to us, as Hebrews tells us. Look at what Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter um, 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins. Okay, think about that. This is Jesus. He's done all this. And he also purged our sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much more better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Jesus is the reason we celebrate Christmas. And the prophets talked about him years and years and years before he came. And so I have to ask you as we close, do you know him? Is he what, is, is he what Christmas is all about for you? Don't miss him this holiday season. Don't get so wrapped up in everything that's going on. Take some time and listen because I promise you, if you will take that time, you will see that God is orchestrating many things to get your attention. He is working a lot of things to draw you to himself. Even the smallest of details in your life, God has been working in each of those details to bring you to accept him. And so, t'was the years before Christmas. I hope that God has spoken to you in some way today. If you have any questions about God or about Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. This is why we do what we do. We want each and every person to have a relationship, a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ because he is the true Messiah. Father God, we thank you so much for loving us and for orchestrating all of these things to bring Messiah to us. And God, you've been working and orchestrating even the smallest of details in our lives to bring us to the Messiah. And we pray, God, that today, if there are those who do not know you, 
that they would come to faith, that they would have a paradigm shift and accept you by faith that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.